On this Sega Talk, we go undercover and discuss the 2010 espionage RPG Alpha Protocol. What led to Sega and Obsidian Entertainment to create a spy RPG? Does a third-person action game mix well with RPG elements? What legacy has Michael Thornton left behind? All this and more on Sega Talk. SegaBits presents Sega Talk, a podcast talking all things with your hosts, George and Barry. Look, it's a giant talking egg. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the master here. So what's Hello and welcome to an all new, all different Sega Talk. I'm Barry. With me is George. Hello, everyone. And what's different? I don't know. I'm wearing glasses. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but this is the last episode of 2021, and what a year it has been. Wow. Eh. eh. No? It's all right. It was okay. You know, You know. remember back in 2016 when people said, this is the worst, worst year ever. I feel like ever since that year when people kept on saying that, Every other year had to get worse. Like it just had to, right? I I think you the thing it. I think the thing is is that more people are negative than positive now. So the negative people are always the the vocal majority. But there are so many people having great years too. They're being drowned out. That's true. Like 2016 was actually like a pretty good year for me, but it was ba- also bad. I don't know. Um, but talking about like specifically Sega Talk, it's been a good year. We actually kicked the year off talking about candy cabinets. Remember that episode? I do. I enjoyed that one. That was good. Yeah, and and we've come a long, long way. Number sixty-one was the candy cabinets, and here we are, number eighty-six, Alpha Protocol. So it really shows just how we're we're blazing through the numbers. I mean, we are definitely going to be past one hundred uh, next year. In fact, if you want to dictate what we talk about on this show, you can back us on our Patreon. We actually have a tier called the Sega Saturn tier with a very cool group of guys and girls who tell us what to cover. And they they really have helped us in forming like what we talk about on this show. This is actually a Patreon pick, and it's going to be Patreon picks for the next few months. I did sprinkle in... Um, Ken Pender's Archie Comics. <laughs> and I did leave an open spot on the schedule for George, too, to pick whatever he wants. Because we, we need a break sometimes. We need to talk about our little bizarre interests. Um, of but, course, but yeah. What bizarre interest are we talking about today? We are talking about Alpha Protocol. It was a third-person action RPG developed by Obsidian Entertainment and published by Sega. It was released May 28, 2010 in Europe and June 1st in America to PS3, Xbox 360, and PC. The game was one of Sega's more, more ambitious partnerships with an external developer and a new IP. Uh, the game's special for Segabits, as it was one of the first games covered by the website when it launched. So, George, um, as the guy who wrote the most about Alpha Protocol, what are your memories of the game? And um, what was it like working with Sega in those early years and like doing the PR and social team stuff? I mean, back then it was like 
more, I don't know, it was weird. You emailed back and forth a lot more about ideas, especially, like, content. They, You guys would bounce it off with the community managers, and, like, they would send assets and, like, uh, more fonts and stuff. Like, anything you would need, basically. You want to do a giveaway with an article to, uh, gain, you know, garner more interest. It was kind of like that. Right. As far as covering <laughs> this game... This one is a weird game because it really showed you how hard it was to launch a game like this because, like, it felt like the game always had delays. I remember because back in this time, one of the ways I would get, like, exclusive content was uh, I would go through magazines because magazines still had exclusive uh, featurettes and people online were basically not reading uh, magazines anymore. So I would pick up some of the magazine subscriptions and, like, go through them. And then I would finally, like, you would find sometimes, like, uh, little hints, like, that would, like, reveal something. Like, I think I figured out first that Alex Kidd was going to be on one of the Sega All-Stars games through a magazine article before hmm. any website even posted it. Yeah. So I was all on the magazines, and I remember this game having ads before the game came out, and then it got delayed. But that winter, it still had ads. Like, the ads were still in the magazine since they bought them early. Right. So this is one of those games where it was, like... They were changing it by the minute. Like one, like ear, it was something else, and then you would hear news about this game being more like RPG. Mm-hmm. First, it was like an action game, then an RPG, and yeah, it was one of those games. I personally enjoyed the game when it came out. Uh, I thought it was a little janky. Right. Needed probably two more years to cook. Um, but what they had there, the framework, is so like interesting especially especially if you like 007 type movies if you like those type of movies you would love this especially since it takes a you know more tongue-in-cheek and it reminds me a lot of the kingsman how they don't take themselves that serious at all Mm -hmm. yeah but yeah what about you well i i would say i was watching some of the trailers and clips of the game just to refresh myself and i also i have the game here too i threw it on for a bit but um honestly like you're talking about like that kind of it's a little funny almost reminds me of yakuza where it's like super serious situations but then it'll be like something goofy happens and yeah. no one really questions it um it's it's a strange fun funny game um it's just it's so it's so odd now thinking of a sega of america that would just be like Ring, ring. Hey, Obsidian, guys who did Knights of the Old Republic 2, do you want to make a game for us? Like, that wouldn't happen now because Sega, I feel, is so dependent on their own skills and abilities that the fact that they would reach out to a third party for a brand new IP is just kind of weird, isn't it? Like, Sega now wouldn't do this. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think they would either. I think they value their in-house studios more. I think this is at the time when, like, Sega of America wanted to take over. Their idea would be that, like, they would be the Sega of America from the Sega Genesis era where they could license these, like, properties and then sell millions and millions of copies of these games. Mm-hmm. And uh, they had big hopes, I think, for this stuff. They even had an alien RPG they were working on. That's so, right. You know, I didn't put that in the notes, but you're absolutely right. Um, Obsidian had uh, an alien RPG that was uh, canceled, correct? It was Obsidian? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it was. Yeah, I think a lot um, of people were more excited at that time for that than this mm-hmm. because no one knew what Alpha Protocol was when it was announced. Yeah, and I, I think there's like an alternate timeline that exists where Sega of America um, did this sort of thing and they had hits and they also 
brought over Japanese titles. And I think we we kind of got like a strange like the timeline we live in was a strange one because there there was almost like a fear of these becoming too popular because then we wouldn't see the Japanese titles. I remember um I don't I don't think it was a Sega of em- maybe it was a Sega employee. I don't know who it was, but they were like kind of letting it be known to us that we shouldn't get our hopes up about Japanese titles. Like I think we were newsing them. I was asking questions and they were like, "Look, like that's not going to come over here." And I'm like, "Why not? It's from this guy and and this woman who made these great games." You know, like, this is a really big deal for Sega. And it was like, well, the, it would cost a lot to bring it over. Our focus is really on the pillars. Um, it's, it's, I don't know. It, did you ever feel like like this was kind of making it so that you don't get some of those imports happening? Well, not only that, and they also, like, they wouldn't admit it back then, but, like, it was so obvious that they were all focusing on making these games sell. And at the time, there was some games that they even imported. I mean, they brought over, they localized, like, Sands of Destruction, or uh, yeah, I, I can't remember a few other ones, but it didn't have the marketing to, that this game had, you know? Right. It, it almost felt like they were more incentivized to make... Because it, it's from America. It was on their backs to sell these games because that means their budget would increase in the future for more Western-produced games. And, like... When you make Western produced games, people in Sega of America get promoted up. You know what I mean? Right. As a so I, I can see their point of view. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, it definitely did hurt Japanese games for a while. I think Yakuza not selling didn't work didn't help either. You know? Right. And I mean, I really wish things did work out a lot better. I, I would love to see more Sega of America uh, produced maybe even develop titles. I'd like to see more development teams in America, not just Europe. I feel like Europe has their own focus in, in developing PC games, but over here it's it seems like Sega moving in with Atlas has really become like a import factory, which is not a bad thing. I love the games they're importing, but it, it's, it's you like you said... Both. It's not like the Genesis era. It's not like the 2010s. Yeah. Um, I think I just kind of wish they would do less Marvel games and more games like this. Um, but maybe ones that, you know, were a hit. Um, yeah, speaking of, of memories, we have memories from our Patreon picker. Uh, it's Joaquin Branch. He's back again. And I like his comment. So here's what he had to say. He said, well, 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 gentlemen. Is he like... The Joker or something. <laughs> wow, wow, yes. wow. Uh, gentlemen, if we travel a couple of months, I believe I wrote in on the feeling in my plums that Xbox would eventually acquire Sega. And with the recent strategic alliance, how do you guys feel about that now? Well, I mean, to answer, um, I, I don't think Xbox is buying Sega. Uh, we did a whole so Xbox either. episode and we actually covered that quite a bit, which I think was actually Joaquin's... Um, pick so I think he wants a follow up. I don't. I don't think anything's changed. Um, he says, "I know before this gen is over, Sega will be under that Xbox umbrella, and then we can finally get a sequel to Alpha Protocol." <laughs> Obsidian was acquired by Xbox in 2018, and with the newly announced partnership, they immediately tweeted about their forgotten game. Did you guys enjoy their Jason Bourne-like RPG? Or were you infuriated with the weird shooting mechanics? I really enjoyed the game overall and would love to see a modern-day sequel given the studio 
Obsidian has grown to be. Um, yeah. I, I, I mean, I think we're going to be answering all his questions as we talk about the game. So uh, diving right into the notes here, um, you know, as Joaquin mentioned, the game takes cues from spy genres most blatantly. Uh, Jason Bourne, which began as a series of novels in the 80s and 90s, and it really blew up into a film franchise. Uh, there was a trilogy in the early 2000s, I think. Um, 2007, the trilogy wrapped. And then there was a fourth film after this game released, and then a fifth film a few years later. later. Um, Alpha Pro- Protocol pulls from many popular spy franchises, James Bond included. Um, but the Bourne series was really the most contemporary series to influence Obsidian. So, uh, George, what did you think of the Bourne films and what other popular spy movies, TV shows, uh, or games do you think, do you remember from the 2000s that maybe influenced Alpha Protocol? I mean, I I guess I remember um, Splinter Cell um, as Mm -hmm. a game. I thought that game was pretty amazing when it came out, the graphics and stuff on it. as far as spy films, I don't, I don't, I've never really seen the Jason Bourne series besides the first movie, mm. and uh, I thought it was a pretty cool movie. But like something about the spy movies, there's always like this weird like uh, you got to take it with a grain of salt because if you start picking it apart, you're like this guy just like jumped in here and need a guy in the face and no one reacted to it or whatever, you know. So, right. but yeah, I, I had no problem with it. They're cool action flicks that you turn your brain off and mm-hmm. you uh, watch for a bit. Um, I could see the I could see the um, the whole like uh, mystique, but aren't all these spy movies really like like different takes on like 007 or something? Like, isn't that what, what the idea behind it is? I mean, or am I, or am I crazy? I mean, 007 really was one of the first major spy franchises. I mean, in the 60s was when it kicked off, um, but I wouldn't say it was that James Bond was like the genesis of the spy film era. Um, It's just a popular one for sure. Uh, There are spy movies of varying believability. Even James Bond itself, I think there are movies like Casino Royale. Daniel Craig's Casino Royale is probably one of the most believable James Bond movies. But then you jump five films later uh, and No Time to Die is probably one of the most unbelievable ones, but it's still great. You know, but um, yeah. as for the Jason Bourne movies, I'm a huge fan of them. I love them a lot. Um, but I got to admit that spy movies, like, I don't know if it's just me. I bet a lot of people, they don't under, like, the plots are incomprehensive, right? Sometimes, like, it, yeah. Yeah, and it's so funny because I, I watched No Time to Die last month. I completely understood it. I knew everything going on. And then I watched... Um, you know, a couple of years ago, I watched one of the Bourne movies. I did not know what was going on, but I loved it. Like, I don't know why. It's so strange, like, to enjoy a movie even though you're, like, lost. You're like, that's the bad guy. That's the good guy. Wait, what's going on? What's this, like, what's the secret organization they're talking about? Oh, there's another secret organization. Wait, they just shot that guy. Like, wasn't he bad? Oh, he's good. Okay. You oh, know, okay. It's like, yeah. Um, Is that his girlfriend? I guess not. Yeah, exactly. Why did she have a gun? Um, but I, I just, I think as as far as like influences, most definitely the Jason Bourne movies. Um, I think it's interesting we're talking about this game today because as we record this on December 15th, um, Ubisoft announced that there is a Splinter Cell remake happening. So 
here we go again. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. Um, but this game, I think, in some areas, wishes it was Splinter Cell, uh, unfortunately. Really? Um, I, th- I think part of the game was, I think this was supposed to be like a... Well, when I played it, it felt like it was an action game, and then later on they were like, actually, we have to put RPG elements on top of it, because we're known as a RPG, and uh, I think Mass Effect was doing really good for having kind of combining both of them. Mm. So I felt like that was probably the pressure on that, but yeah. Well, I think you will. Your it all will be answered when we get to oh, the development good. phase of this episode. Um, but I, I think it's really important to talk about the story, because this is an RPG. The story is kind of the backbone. Um, I tried to sum it up in a sentence. I couldn't. Oh. I tried. I looked at the long like synopses. That couldn't do it either. In the end, I did pick what I think is the best synopsis that doesn't really spoil the game. This is from the Alpha Protocol Wiki. And I'm just going to blaze through this. Um, I might skip a few sentences, but pretty much so. 2010, American commercial airliner takes off out of Saudi Arabia, it makes it off the runway, reaches maximum altitude, and then suddenly it is shot down in a fiery explosion. And it turns out that this was an attack on America by Middle Eastern terrorist organization Al-Samed. And the leader of this group is a oil baron named Sheikh Ali Shahid, who planned and subsequently uh, takes credit for the attack in a news broadcast. Um, unknown, unknown to most uh, and kept secret from the American public as well as the world, Um, The missiles used to shoot down the airliner were American-made. They were made by a company called Hellbeck Corporation um, and were thought to be stolen in secret. Furthermore, the missiles used were just the first in in a stockpile of missiles in possession of this evil group. Uh, The knowledge is something that the American government cannot afford to be made uh, public. And the voice of al-Samad, Ali Shahid, and the organization as a whole having possession um, could wreak havoc on the world if it gets known. Um, and the mission is to recapture the missile stockpile from Al Samad in secret and deal with their leader. Uh, an Alpha Protocol, both the name used by the agency in question as well as the term describing a government agent gone rogue and acting without government sanction, is authorized to launch this mission, codenamed Operation Desert Spear. So Alpha Protocol right there is the name of the group you work for. And who are you? Well, you are a new agent named Michael Thornton. Uh, you joined Alpha Protocol from another area of government employee. And the reason why that's kind of vague, well, you'll hear pretty soon. Um, he enters the agency with remarkable, remarkable brilliance in his former field, uh, and upon joining, he's selected to undertake Operation Desert Spear. And as soon as he discovers uh, all is not what it seems with Al Samed, Alpha Protocol, or the actual downing of the airliner by American-made missiles, he soon uncovers a massive international conspiracy that threatens the political stability of the world, targeting key cities and nations in chain reaction attacks and plots. And the next three months are suddenly a heart-stopping race against the clock and a battle against grand forces as Thornton uh, must navigate the secret world of secrecy, danger, and conspiracy to prevent World War III. So, Whoa. having read Whoa, that, that's... Three? Yeah, right? Well, I know. It's a sequel. Uh, <laughs> having read that, it 
it makes I mean the the backstory of the plot makes sense to me. What do you think of that? Secret agency, um, terrorists, planes. Isn't this like kind of like the typical like story elements for some of these like plot spy thrillers where it's like this this plane got blowing up by X agency. Now you got special agency, and it's like. Yeah, they, they. I mean, it's it's a good it's a good start. They could you could have put that in a couple of sentences. Be like, plane go up, plane go boom, terrorists go. <laughs> I did it. Now you you stop missile. You Michael Thornton, Alpha Protocol, <laughs> Operation Devil. It would be yeah, like but this uh, isn't that, a TikTok video. It's a podcast, so oh, I can actually take sorry, the time to right. talk about it. I, I thought we were gonna go to the office. <laughs> you know, when Kevin is just putting everything to a little bit of words. Oh, yeah, right, right. Well, <laughs> enough of that. All right, so we <laughs> we are now going to discuss the characters, and kicking things off, we have a character trailer. Do you want to roll that beautiful bean footage? Oh, yeah. Peggy 18. Oh. So generic, Michael Thornton. Who is he? <laughs> He looks like just a typical army dude. The question is, where is his loyalty? Oh man, he bangs chicks too. I forgot. He could be anywhere. Look at all those explosions. Just assume it's two steps ahead. <laughs> all right. Pretty cool. Um, what do you think about the whole like I don't know the I, I mean she's a character so I'm assuming we're gonna be talking about her but the the Russian chick that like. She sleeps with you. She's like some foreign Russian chick. Like the stereotype. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's a spy movie stereotype for sure. Um, yeah. It, there there are other character trailers, but I didn't pick them all because I, I thought it would be interesting to read through the story, kind of remember the gameplay I experienced 10 years ago. And I picked characters that I remembered and then I looked mm. at the character trailers, and they didn't line up. So there are a lot of characters in this game. If if I'm thinking of characters off the top of my head to bring up, and then there's more character trailers that don't even touch on those characters. And I think the reason is, is that this game has different paths you take. Different characters will become more important to your path than others. And so as far as Michael, everyone knows Michael. He's the star of the story. Um, visually, though, he's, he's a pretty blank avatar. Uh, and there is a reason for this. It's, I mean, so when I look at Michael, I see the guy who stars in Binary Domain. And I see the guy who stars in um, Vanquish. They all look the same to me, you know? Um, the Vanquish guy has a little bit longer hair, so I'll give him that. But I, I agree, he's the he's like the Kazuma Kirio, like he's the Jap he's the American version of Kazuma Kirio, the Avatar kind of, you know. But right. I, I would say that Kazuma has more of a character when you play the game. But like mm -hmm. uh, Michael, 
probably you know is the same thing when you play the game, but his look is just like American generic man. Right, right. But I, I think Michael's look works because in the game players can layer their own cosmetics and personality on him. Like there's a reason why he's kind of a blank avatar. Whereas with like uh, Alpha Protocol or Sam in, or not Alpha Protocol, uh, Binary Domain and then Sam in uh, Vanquish, I feel like those characters are supposed to be their own and they just don't stand out to me as much. I mean, maybe what, Sam smokes? Like that's his character personality? Um, Yeah. But what's what's unique about Michael is that he does not have a specific background. The player chooses the background and then regardless of the choice, he's like the expert in that field that you picked. He's fluent in several languages, and he volunteered to be recruited. So that's kind of his his backstory is what you pick his backstory to be. Um, but there are other guys who, guys and girls, who are pretty much set in stone. So there's, as I mentioned, Ali Shahid. He's a wealthy Middle Eastern oil sheik. He's part of the organization Al Samed who is probably also the representative of... Hmm, interesting. He probably is. Why not? Uh, maybe there's a twist in this game. Um, he has a strong hatred for the West, but is not above extending political favors as it benefits his business. And then we also have Henry Leland. He's the CEO of the Hellback Corporation. And spoiler alert, he's the main antagonist of Alpha oh. Protocol. He is the one willing to start World War III to increase profits for his company, no matter the cost, and he used his contacts with Alpha Protocol to benefit Halbeck's interests. So there's a lot of intrigue. There's a lot of, like, double dealing. Um, Oh, yeah. And, I mean, there are more characters and more organizations, and we will talk about the organizations in a moment. But, like, that's that's really the core to the game is, like, Michael, um, his organization, the American weapons maker and then this supposed evil Middle Eastern uh, group and then the one character I did want to call out though is Sai, S-I-E I don't know why her name's all in in caps but uh, she's the one we see in our little um, video here, she's in a lot of the trailers I think she's just like the eye candy to be honest I think it's just because her costume stands out like she's on the back of the box too it's just a unique looking costume and there's this like pose of her belly button exposed in the winter with like a gun behind her you know it's just sex appeal um but but really like there's not much known about her she's just an agent i mean that's about it like she's not I, i don't think she's like the secondary character in anything but you'll see her a lot in the marketing materials so i figured just mention who she is you know like east german intelligence elite agent that's about it um but there are several characters in the games we we discussed those um i have a link to the alpha protocol wiki in the notes we don't need to go through all of them there's so many of them but just looking at this list does anyone jump out to you i'm gonna say right now gelato man is my favorite character gelato man yeah oh my god i'm looking at it right now i'm trying to put it onto the screen look at his Um, face yeah, I, I remember. I'm trying to remember his name, but remember the the guy in the disco bar. I, I'm trying to look if I can remember his name. Is Maybe, it Wen Shu? Uh, he the guy that's like coked out in the bar, and you have to fight him in the disco bar, and you have to like that guy was so hard because like 
I don't know. I made I, I made my character really really uh, screwy, and I couldn't beat him. I remember, and I remember mm. I had to restart the whole thing. But I don't know if I could find him here. It's so hard to see with the little pictures. But <laughs> Gelato Man, I do like that. Yeah, Gelato Wait, this Man. This the first mission, I think, too, isn't he? Which one, Gelato Man? I think so. When you're doing the um, yeah. Well, interestingly, he was in a lot of promotional material too. Jim Jim Cummings is the voice of Gelato Man, and he is Tigger, and he's also um, Pete in the uh, Goofy stuff, and he's uh, he played Robotnik in um, Sonic Underground. So there you go. <laughs> Who else did uh, yeah, he play? Gel- Didn't he play Gelato someone from Man. Yakuza too, or am I thinking someone else? Jim Cummings, he might have actually. Um, I think so. He was in. No, people are fan casting him. Mm. <laughs> people want him in Yakuza Zero uh, as Daisaku Kuze. Kuz. Um, but in any case, yeah. So I mean, there there are a, quite a few characters in the game. It's an RPG, so with with alternate paths. So obviously, there's some characters who will become more in, important to your story than others um so really the, the the key thing and we'll have some gameplay video playing here while we talk for a bit are the factions of the game and uh the world of alpha protocol it features several factions here's just a quick rundown of them we have as we know alpha protocol we've talked about what they do we also have the halbeck corporation the defense contractor And then there's a few more here. So we have the Veteran Combat Initiative faction. And this is a power-heavy group uh, in the game. It's one of their operators, operatives, Sai, that woman we talked about, is a handler uh, choice in the Moscow hub. And hubs are like where you kind of operate your missions out of in different countries. Uh, The group prefers a more direct approach for situations. For example... The VCI will break through walls in the embassy in Moscow in order to reach their objectives. So they're more, more power, bust through a wall, punch someone's face sort of group. Uh, there's Al Samed, which we've already talked about. They're the main enemy in the game, one of the main enemies. And then the CIA, I think we all know what the CIA does. Uh, if uh, we don't, then... Do you know what it is? <laughs> I don't. They're the central intelligence agency. They go and they spy for us in other countries, destroy governments, yeah. start riots. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> Best group. Um, the G twenty two faction is a group of information seekers in the game. Their leader, I love his name, Albatross, is a handler uh, choice in the Moscow hub in the game. Uh, they prefer a stealthy approach, so they're the kind of the stealth group, and. They wear these trademark four-eyed goggles uh, that glow a, like a bluish color, which is interesting because Splinter Cell is three go- three-eyed goggles with a mm-hmm. uh, green color. Green so I wonder if yeah, yeah, I'm wondering if that's like a Splinter Cell like ripoff right there. Um, but yeah, those are the factions, and you you can work with them, you can help them. Um, it's it's interesting that there are all these little groups. Did you have a favorite faction in the game? You know, I can't remember. Like, I played it so long ago. I just remember specifically that, like, I played it a couple of times. Like, you know how What's-His-Name mentioned in the beginning about the shooting mechanic? 
Mm-hmm. I actually hated the shooting mechanic. It was basically you level you ha- you miss all the time until you like level up your guns enough. But it, I thought I found it to be hard in the beginning, so I just did sneaking. I was stealth, mm. so I was more of the stealth guy. And I enjoyed the game a lot more that way. I don't know about other people that are watching this, how they enjoyed it, but uh, I definitely enjoyed it that way. But as factions, I don't remember. I I, I, I want to say I, I was the good 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 American boy and went all CIA, but I, I just don't remember. I do remember that it had like really funny choices where it was like, say no, and then you put no, and it was like, fuck you, bitch. And it was like just like <laughs> random, like super aggressive. It was like one, you're like, oh. I'll try to persuade him not to do this. And then you put no, and then the guy's just like breaking the guy's leg or shooting them in the leg sometimes like Jack Bauer. And you're like, wait, what? Okay, so you just committed a bunch of crimes. All right. Yeah. <laughs> but <clears throat> what what wait. agency would you uh, join if you had to be a spy? Probably CIA. Um, They're the riches, right? No, I would probably... I like G22 because I like the name Albatross, and I also like the stealthy approach. Um, mm. I like that they have like red body armor. It says here. Uh, I think that's pretty cool. I'm gonna take a look at Albatross here. Actually, I just want to look at his face. Oh, he's just a boring guy. I thought yeah, he would look cool. Nice. I thought he'd look like a bird or something. That would be kind of cool. Um, then we've got the gameplay. So you were talking about that shooting mechanic. I didn't really get into the shooting mechanics here, but yeah, you you covered it fairly well. Um, as mentioned, it's a third-person action game with RPG elements. However, unlike, say, like Final Fantasy X, uh, which is a third-person RPG, uh, players partake in real-time combat. They use weapons, spy gadgets, and hand-to-hand combat. Um, what What is like a modern-day third-person action RPG game? I guess like Fantasy Star Online 2? I, I, I guess that would be totally different. That's like more action RPG. Like, it has like upgradable stuff, but the action, mm-hmm. the actual thing is, I don't know, it's weird, right? Mm, yeah, I would Monster say, Hunter maybe? That's the kind of like Fantasy Star Online too. Mm, I was thinking more like, like I guess the whole like Fallout games are kind of like this where you upgrade all your stuff and there's, yeah. action, there's like dialogue, trees. Red Dead Redemption. I could, can you can you split though as much as you could in this game because that was probably the selling point right with all the factions. Yeah, I think you're right. There isn't that many paths in Red Dead Redemption, though there are like good and bad sort of things you can do. Um, but like you know, unlike like a Final Fantasy X, you can just like get into a fight. But I wouldn't say I'd say it's more like Yakuza then, right? Because it's not like Shenmue levels of immersion. But it's not mm. like Final Fantasy X levels of just like running around a beautiful landscape, but you can't do much. Um, but but they drop you into specific missions. It's not like a free-roaming place and then people are just like, hey, that guy over there, like a Yakuza game. So, yeah, I, I would say it's it's more akin to like a mission-based spy game, but then with the RPG elements and with the 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 other systems, like the dialogue system that we'll get into that that's something that made it stand apart from other games um it had advancement points ap which is earned throughout the game it allows players to upgrade uh any of their 10 different skills and then the skills allow players to use certain weapons and learn certain abilities abilities do not drain the point system though which is pretty great because that would i'm trying to think shenmue 3 if you want to walk around you drain energy and then you need to fill it up with items here 
if you're doing like a special ability, not like walking around, but like a special ability, there's a cooldown period before it becomes active again, but nothing there where it's like, oh, you got to fill up your your punch power, your PP is low, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, I mean, the combat system, not perfect, but I think far from some other games combat systems that are not as good, um, I would point to Shenmue 3 most definitely. And I'd even, I mean, point to Breath of the Wild with the breaking uh, You hate weapons. that breaking, uh, weapon breaking, right? Nope. Right. I hate it. I, that made me yeah. stop playing the game, and I know people. Oh, get over it. It's realistic. I have never seen a realistic. sword break that quickly. Yeah, yeah, it's not realistic. It's just no. a mechanic in a game, and if people could like it or like it, you know, if you like it, cool, play it. All right, but people are. It's okay to dislike a, a mechanic in a game. Like there's Sonic mechanics I dislike, and I'll sometimes I'll play through it and be like, I enjoyed all the other stuff, so it's okay. Right. But, like, yeah. when, when the sword is break within the in-game... Like, if the sword broke every week I played the game, I'd, I'd be like, oh, that makes sense, because the, the time kind of moves faster yeah. in the game. I've been using it a lot. But, like, I've been to museums. I've seen swords that have seen combat for th- hundreds of years. They're still there. They're not, like, in shards, uh, <laughs> you know? Um, so, I mean, there, there aren't that many cheap... I, I feel like the... The combat isn't cheap. At least there's nothing where you're like, "Oh my god, you got to refill your your point system," or like his gadgets break. Like it's it's pretty. Uh, what's the word I'm looking? Forgiving. You know, yeah. I, I wouldn't say it's that it's that bad. It's just not polished. I think that's the the worst that it sin it uh, commits. And I think when you're comparing this game to like Fallout or Splinter Cell, that's where you're going to be like, well. It's not as good as Splinter Cell. It's not as good as this. It's not as good as that. Um, even some of Obsidian's own own games, it's not as good as. So, I mean, maybe that's where reviewers uh, and people like found real issues with the game. Now, one place where I don't find any issues uh, is the dialogue system, which really sets the game apart. Uh, conversations happen in real time, and players are given a limited amount of time to respond to key decision points. And the system's known as Dialogue Stance System, or DSS. Uh, it lets players choose from three different attitudes when talking to NPCs. So yeah. Obsidian themselves actually said that these decisions are based on the three JBs. And that, of course, is Jason Bourne, James Bond, and <laughs> Jack Bauer. That makes and sense. And it's ins- it's insane that they're all JPs. Um, but yeah, and so due to copyright laws, of course, they don't call them those names. They are Professional, which is Jason Bourne, Suave, which is James Bond, and then Jack Bauer, which is Aggressive. And I mean, that's that's the perfect names for all of three of them because Jason Bourne will just be like, work out in his head what to do, go in and do it, but not break a sweat, not like try to hit on anyone. James Bond... He's a little more debonair, going in, you know, witty quips, you know, kissing the ladies, all that. And then Jack Bauer just, like, punches the hell out of people. And yeah, th- there's sometimes a fourth option allowing players to end conversations prematurely. But, um, yeah, what, what do you think about th- I think that system's really cool because it it's like this game is almost like a James Bond or a 24 or a Jason Bourne RPG. 
all but a name, you know? Yeah, it's like uh, they let you choose your favorite spy, which is the best part about it. But, like, when I first played it, you know what? The Jack Bauer thing would have probably made the game a lot. Because when I played it at first, I was like, I thought I was just, like, this person that's, like, trying to convince these people to do what I want them to do. But when So I would pick the Jack Bauer stuff, and I'm like, what do you do? Why are you tying this person up now? Like, why are you torturing people now? (laughs) And I'm like, oh, it makes sense. That's exactly what Jack Bauer would do. Like, he would walk into a room, and he's like, Where's the bombs? And you say no, and then he's like, all right, tie him up, we're torturing him. So right. that makes sense. So yeah, for sure. What do you, What's yeah. your opinion on like the, the three JBs? I think it's cool. I, I, I mean, obviously they can't name them in the game, but I, I think you pick up on it pretty quickly, even if you don't read interviews, uh, that these are the three that you're going for. And yeah, for me, I would... I'd probably go the James Bond route and a little Jason Bourne. I always get fearful when I'm, like, aggressive in games because then I'm like, oh, I'm going to, like, turn characters away. Especially, like, uh, another game I'm thinking of is um, uh, Sakura Wars, Sakura Tyson, where you're like, you're like, oh, you're really cute, or um, uh, I'm sweating. And then, like, the other option is, like, let's do it, baby. And it's like... yeah. I'm not going to do the let's do it, baby, because that's super cringy and, like, that's going to turn them off. Um, but here it's, like, I'm sure there's some, you know, edgelords who are just, like, I'm going to be aggressive uh, throughout the entire game. And speaking of edgelords, no, I'm just kidding. Um, I actually reached out to former SAG of America community manager uh, Julian Melfeld, and I asked him to share his thoughts on the game because he worked at SAGA at the time. And so he had some really interesting things to say about what was going on at Sega, and the di- the dialogue section uh, was a highlight of his memories. So without further ado, I'm just going to read what he told me. So he said, since I worked on the social community side of things, it's harder for me to comment on the production of the game, but I will say I advocate for this game whenever I can. I've gotten a lot of people to try it, and I think it is hands down the best choice-based game on the market. That's a bold claim, but I stand by it. Stand by it. Uh, challenges, of course, in the presentation of the combat traversal. Um, but if you can get past that, there's this really interesting world that comes together. I remember playing it prior to release in the office, and I had a set pattern of handlers and things I did, like you know, optimizing the playthrough to get through the best possible results. I wanted to get the ranks maxed out and see what weird stuff would come up through the rep system. And one day I just decided to do everything opposite my normal style, make enemies with my normal handlers, go against my patterns, pick the seemingly worse options. Oh man, the game completely opened up and I saw all these great storylines I'd never seen before. Characters had all these other motivations I hadn't seen before. Boss encounters had different outcomes, side missions even. There was one instance where I was able to remove my handler from the game mid-mission and you have a five-second timer to make the call. Incredible. The joy of the game is the sandbox of choice, but it really becomes this interesting game the more you play it and the more you experiment with it. Go in and play it twice just to see how it comes together. Pick a different routine in the mid-game. Go to different locations in different order. Make people angry and break things. It's a wild ride that's worth replaying. Alpha Protocol is a real gem I remember going through and trying to make each person in the game really dislike me just because you can. You get to know what their triggers are and just exploit them. Even the the opening training people 
which I think you sort of want to like you early on, but just try to piss them off in every interaction and tank the rating. All these things lead to weird nuances of the game that you won't see unless you do things. I don't even remember them all or how they got there. It's so fun to discuss with people, and you'll uh, have sometimes very different outcomes. Anyway, I love it, and I should replay it. Haha. <laughs> so that's like that's a really interesting, um, uh, it really interesting to hear what he thought of the game before it released because I was really getting that vibe from him and other employees with that they were excited about this game they they were enjoying it um what what do you what's your take on julian's comments there i mean it makes 100 percent sense it's one of those games that like you have to replay over like in different dialogue choices the dialogues and the in living the world it's kind of what it's supposed to be and i think that's what made everyone more excited the fact that like sure there was a lot of problems with this version of it like it was rushed there was jank in it, but the idea that like, oh, what would a sequel be like? Like, there was like parts in the game where they kind of wanted to make you feel like you were traveling the world, but they didn't have the budget to actually let you go out in this world. Like, you're stationed right. in Paris, can't go out in Paris. They don't, they don't have the budget for that. But like, <laughs> imagine if they actually, you know, started making like an open world version of this or something like in the future. I, the the whole like choice. Of like the dialogue and like inter- interacting with characters is what made the game, I guess, have that oh, open absolutely. world and make it feel like there was just so many paths you could take, and that and that's a smart way of doing it when you don't have the budget to actually do an open world, you know? Right, but, uh, and I, I have to imagine too, it was exciting to play something like this at Sega of America when you are mm-hmm. typically seeing like the the Golden Compass, the Marvel games. Um, and I mean, I'll admit, I actually like some of the Marvel games, so I'm not saying those are bad games, but just to see something new and unique coming from the company you're working for and being so close to the process, like to, uh, well, like when I visited, uh, Sag of America back in, what was it like 2016, I think, um, there was really kind of a, a buzz there at the time, just because, you know, like there were people actively working on games in development, you know, then and there I saw, or I, I don't think I met him there, but uh, Stephen Frost, you know, like he was there and he was working on, um, he had worked on the Shinobi game, he worked on the Sonic Boom games, and I mean, I, I love that Shinobi 3DS game, and it just must be so exciting to like, not just be working on localized titles, but actually working on games and active development then and there, and not just be the doing the social media for these games that you're bringing over. And nowadays, though, I, I do see a lot of love and excitement for the localization process, and I think that's great that they're giving um, the Western uh, arms more control over that process because there's some really great talent, uh, you know, working on these games. So, yeah, I just I really appreciate Julian's comments there. And diving back into... Talking about customer, customer character customization, um, yeah, you can not only change the way Michael looks in combat, but also cutscenes. Uh, you can kind of adjust his facial hair, weapons, gadgets, clothes, mm-hmm. clothing, and it's something uh, Sega highlighted in a really funny trailer that came out post-release. And if you ever, before you play it, I'm just going to say, uh, hit up Sega Europe 
I'll say Sega Europe, maybe Sega of America too, but I feel like Sega Europe don't doesn't like hide or delete videos. They have a ton, a ton of videos from the past ten plus years, oh, trailers, yeah. things like that. You can see the whole like marketing rollout for Alpha Protocol. There was actually a lot of stuff. There were um, behind the scenes videos, trailers, character trailers. So you can't say they didn't market this game. And I think this is my favorite trailer. So let's let's let it roll. Oh man. <laughs> what? The music? Yeah. <laughs> So, I gotta say, I'm getting like big Yakuza vibes. Like, it's a funny moment. The the zoom in on the costume, like the beard, yeah, and then the hat. Like, I like that's that. very Yakuza submission cutscene where it's like low. Oh, yeah. It feels low budget. The models are just standing there, but it'll be like oh, that chicken. Like, it's exactly <laughs> like when Nugget was revealed. You know? Yeah. Um. Obviously, this was made for the game or for the trailer. This is not in game, but yeah, I I have to wonder like if they push this a little more like that, like these super quirky, funny moments just like dropped in. Do you think this would be like a cult classic now or something? I don't know. You, you I know really what? dig the trailer. I, I think now if they uh, probably like. <laughs> We're doing it as a 2021 game or something. There would be a lot more memeable moments in this game and like the trailers and the advertisement. But it was like 2010. Like there was no Twitch. There was like not really that many big influencers, right? That would push these type of games where they're like, "I like this. I like what this game does," and they push it to their audience. And I feel like that's why Yakuza's had a second chance because those little moments are plucked from streams and stuff and people start memeing it and it becomes this big old share thing. Because I could totally imagine this like becoming an exploitable meme where like they're like, is that Fidel Castro? And then it shows like three very identifiable things <laughs> and they go, yeah, that is Fidel Castro. So you could have like, is that Sonic the Hedgehog? And it's like shoes, spines, little black nose. Yes, that is Sonic the Hedgehog. You know, like, <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's not the funniest sure. meme, but I could see people exploiting this and doing stupid stuff like that. Oh, yeah. Um, they, they definitely would have latched onto that, too. And I think they kind of are, at least making these funny trailers. Um, as far as the game's music, it was created by electronic producer and artist Brian Wayne Transur better known by his stage name, BT. And interestingly, uh, 
it was actually music rights that caused Sega and Obsidian to pull the game from Steam in 2019. So, do you think this was BT's music that was the... The, I mean, like maybe some contract, like a ten-year contract they had with him, and it was like after ten years, you can't tell sell this digitally or something like that. I I think that was probably that was probably it. It's the same kind of thing with like Outrun Two is not on PC anymore because of the Ferrari license or whatever. I'm assuming right. that was what the contract was. Um, my thing is, so it really isn't on sale on Steam anymore. Like you can't it buy isn't. it on Steam right now. If I wanted to, I don't think so. Because, like, uh, I actually kind of have... Like, they were giving this game away for a long time. Like, you could get it for, like, 99 cents. I don't know if you remember those sales they had on I it. do. Well, that was half of our news stories. Yeah, it says you can't yeah. view the... Oh, wait. Let me see. I, Maybe I put they the put wrong it back birth up. date in. Let's see. Let me see. It says I'm not allowed to view it. Nope. Oh, no. Let me see. No, it's not. It's not listed. Damn, I didn't know that. I have a couple of Steam keys somewhere that they gave me because of because uh, uh, they were given they were giving this game away in humble <laughs> bundles, like Sega bundles and stuff. And so, like, I they I had like three keys just sitting on one of my digital things. But yeah, yeah, I you actually you newsed it back in 2019 that it was pulled, and before that, you were newsing oh. sales constantly. Uh, it was oh, yeah. on sale for two dollars, five dollars, seven fifty. Like I'm going backwards, but it was dropping in price. I was like, pick um, it up. At Tesco actually had buy Vanquish and get Alpha Protocol for free. Uh, let's see, seventeen ninety nine. This is the same year too. Wow. So twenty twenty ten in September, the same year it released, it dropped from retail price to seventeen dollars. Yeah. It- it did pretty good, right? <laughs> I'm just saying. Yeah, and I then mean, seven fifty by November, five dollars by a year. A year later, the game was five dollars. Wow, 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 wow. Um, so, before we talk about the development, is there anything else in game that you wanted to bring up? Mm, I don't think so. I think we could go into the development if you want. All right, cool. Yeah, I've. I was actually kind of dreading writing about development of this because I'm like, is there anything to say? There's actually a really a really large amount of f- interesting, funny stories uh, from this game's development. So it was developed by Obsidian Entertainment, a developer made up of former employees of Black Isle Studios, known for the first two Fallout games, and Baldur's Gate. Have you played those games? Uh, yeah. Um yeah, I played um, the Fallout games when I was younger. Like uh, a lot of my friends would, uh, we kind of had like a, like a like we always talk about the the lore when we got together before like Fallout Three came out. I even remember us talking about Fallout Three being announced and stuff, and like us complaining that uh, they changed the game from a CRPG to a uh, third person shooter, and uh, they were all like, they ruined it and. Now they only play Fallout 3, Fallout 4, the action games. They can't go back and play the CRPGs. So (laughs) they were definitely wrong about that. So, yeah, I played those. I played a little bit of Baldur's Gate, but uh, that's about it. How about you? Have you played Fallout? No, I actually have never played a Fallout. The only Fallout I play is Monkey Ball. Fallout! (laughs) Yeah. Um, (laughs) I I would say they're worth playing if you kind of like the story and like the idea of like exploring open worlds in the wasteland um 
three is fine, but play it on a PC. Don't play it on consoles because, like, I remember that game running at one frame per second on the PS3. So definitely oh play God. it on PC. Yeah, yeah. I def- I'll definitely avoid that. Um, interestingly, they were located in Irvine, California, which is where Sega and Atlas USA are now. So, you know, close to home. Um, Obsidian's best known for Knights of the Old Republic 2, as well as sequels to the Neverwinter Nights series. And as of 2018, as our Patreon picker Joaquin mentioned, Obsidian is now owned by Microsoft, with their latest game being Grounded. Uh, This game actually, and George, you mentioned hearing about it for a long time. Yeah, it began development in March 2006, but the genesis of the project was actually a year earlier in 2005. Damn. When Sega just called the developer about making an RPG for them. Um, I believe their schedule was so packed, though, that they were like, we'd love to, but we can't do it this year. So that's why it kind of was pushed ahead a year. Um, The concept of a spy RPG originated with the Obsidian founders uh, Fergus Urquhart and Chris Jones, and Sega was pleased with the concept and development began. The staff of Alpha Protocol is actually made up of a team meant to be making a game called Dwarves, an RPG prequel to Snow White for Disney. What? Um, yeah. I play that. And <clears throat> isn't that odd? Yeah. Uh, it and it's it's interesting too because uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but Obsidian did uh, South Park: The Stick of Truth. Yes. So yes. It's interesting that this has kind of become the American studio that people go to to make licensed RPGs. Yeah. And it really surprises me, though, that as early as 2010, Disney was trying to make an RPG prequel to Snow White um, called Dwarves. Why? But it also, it doesn't surprise me because Kingdom Hearts was a big deal. I mean, Kingdom Hearts was almost 10 years old by that point. I have to imagine Disney was like... We've got the IP. Why work with Square when we can make our own RPGs without having to like put Final Fantasy characters in? But would it be um, like the like? Would it be like the prequel? Would it be like the story of how the like twelve dwarves got together? Is that what it be? Well, like seven. An RPG? Seven. Sorry. Yeah. Unless some died. <laughs> Maybe there's twelve and some of them died. In the beginning. Um, of the game. I don't know, but. Uh, Disney has been like experimenting a lot with the Seven Dwarves. I think they're making a, they might be making a live action movie, but I know they had a, a TV show that was completely. It was Disney, but it was like completely different style and everything. So it seems like for a long time they've been wanting to do something new with the Seven Dwarves brand. Uh, but that project it went belly up, and so Obsidian shifted that team to the Sega project. And early development for the game was actually a mess. So there were no members assigned to key lead roles, and there was no design document written up. They didn't even do like research into who their target audience was. <laughs> and Smart. on top of that, the team struggled with Unreal 3 and struggled with developing a workable stealth system. Um, they must have been... I don't know how you do this for so long, but it took two years before Obsidian co-owner Chris Parker finally con- took control as director, and Chris Avalone came on as lead designer. So it's like, Sega's funding this. This is your own time and money, and Sega's money, and you that- take two years, and you're like, hey guys, where are we with this project? It's been two years. Like, oh, we, who? 
No one's in charge, well, and they're we don't we don't know how to make stealth systems. Not only that, who's this game? Kind of gives me this vibe that like these people yeah. like no one wants to put a ring on this project. Like everyone's like, I don't know if I li-. you know what I mean when you're. When you those guys that date the girl for like eighty years and they're like, oh, maybe I'll marry her. I'm like, dude, you've been dating for a decade already. Like, what was wrong with you? This is basically it for two years. They were just sitting there going, oh, maybe I'm the director. Maybe, maybe. But um, also Sega at the time, like how bad they were at like managing projects and keeping these people like these third party studios under like putting a, a fire in their ass. I felt like Sega would just walk in, put money, and go, can you make an RPG? And then come back three years later and go, wait, why is it not done yet? What, what happened? It, it was like the same thing with Colonial Marines where they were fun, funneling money from projects. Right, you know? exactly. Yeah. So I have to wonder if something shady was going on there. <laughs> um, when, when Chris Parker finally did take control of the project, though, they, quick, they very quickly put a meeting in place to find a firm direction for the game, which led to the removal of a planned parkour system as well as chase scenes mm. and environmental interaction, which sound great on paper, but probably were not Hard. something they were yeah, able to do. Um, the concept of safe houses was introduced not then to make the game less linear, and minigames were modified but not removed at the insistence of Sega. It was actually... Uh, um, Obsidian, who wanted to remove mini games outright, but Sega was like, "No, keep them." So what they did was they modified them to make them more workable. Um, I think this is ironic, given that Sega actually was the one removing mini games from localized Yakuza titles. So it's like, which one? Do you, which one do you want? Um, with these changes, Sega and the team felt more confident in the project, but still there were more cuts taking place including downgrading the game's AI to allow the game to run better and removing a female option for the male character. And this makes a lot of sense because if you can imagine, as soon as it's a female character, you're going to have to change the whole dynamic, the way people treat her. I mean, unfortunately, but that's just how it is. The way she... like. Is she going to hit on other women, or are you going to create a male version of the female characters exactly. that she might hit on? The clothing? Um, right. Like, you're going to have a whole different clothing system for her, uh, a whole different voice actress for her. It's just, it sounds like, <clears throat> unfortunately, too much work. Um, the team drew inspiration from, as I mentioned, the three JBs. Uh, as well as the movie Kill Bill. Apparently they liked the over-the-top over characters in Kill Bill, so that's what kind of caused the game to have more of a quirky nature, which I kind of pointed to as being kind of like a Yakuza nature to oh, the yeah. cutscenes and characters. Um, games like Deuce X, System Shock 2, Fallout, and the TV series Burn Notice were inspirations Notice. for the team. What's that? I've never seen Burn Notice. I don't even know what it's about. No one it sounds has. like a... Like a uh, like a firefighter show. I'm assuming it's not. <laughs> there is a fantastic SNL sketch where it's a game show called "What Is Burn Notice," and every question is, "What is Burn Notice?" And the guys they're like, "It's the number one show on TV. It had more views than any other show last week. It's the number one show on the USA Network." You you must know someone who's seen it. So what is it? And the guy's like, like you just said, it's a firefighter show, right? And they're like, it's not. No, <laughs> terrible name. Then 
Um, it is. What is it about? Yeah. Uh, Like some of these games right here, I'm just saying like, uh, obviously I could see the, 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 you know, how, what they got inspired by, especially system shock Two, letting you do hacks. Like in system shock Two, you don't, and do his X, you don't have to like fight an enemy. You could hack them or you could do something else. Stealth. So I could see that for sure, but uh, Bird Note is I've never seen it, so I'm assuming it's going to be a firefighter show, which is cool. It's not. <laughs> okay, it's not. All right. It's not, unfortunately. Yeah, um, yeah and then uh, a large writing team was also assembled for the game, but well into development, a new team was assembled to rewrite much of the game while retaining the locations that were initially selected by the original writer. Um, Sega was supportive of the rewrites, but they were really more involved in the combat and game designs. So they left the story to Obsidian. Um, it is said that Sega cut a segment from the game that had up to that point cost half a million dollars to produce simply because that. they felt it was not a good fit for the game. Like, what is that? What costs $500,000? Somebody got like, their How do you get off. along? I don't know. Like... I'll admit, I mean, I've talked about games for 10 years. I don't know the ins and outs of development to the point where, like, what costs $500,000? Like, time and effort, I guess, and... Planning, like, doing a set piece. Like, uh, I think people were saying that, like, that uh, on Uncharted 2, the train scene, that that one almost, like, made the game be delayed so many times because it was, like, they didn't know how to make the scene work in real time. And it became mm. like a showcase piece for Sony where they would put it in ads and everything like, this is running on PS3. So I'm assuming maybe <laughs> it was something like that or something so shockingly offensive that like Sega was like, what are you doing? No way. This is not like a game. sex scene or something. Full on penetration. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> um, so despite being in development since 2006, it was not until 2008 that the game was revealed uh, with an October... 2009 release targeted uh this was of course missed and the game was delayed to mid 2010 to release in a less crowded window though at the time sega was saying it was to polish the game and yeah, they were add light system improvements so there you go um i'm gonna ask you a question real quick are you recording my audio yeah um i'm recording oh, it okay. here yeah why Okay, well, we've got, like, high winds, so if my power goes out, I just don't want to, like, lose audio. I got you. I, ba- I got you backed up. Okay, you got a backup. That's cool. Uh, sorry. If you want to leave this in, that's a little behind the scenes. And if you don't, then... Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, leave it in. Leave it in. Uh, in an interview with Game Informer, I thought this was a really great find. So, director Chris Parker touches on several interesting topics, including a leaked document from Sega... And the future of the series. So I'm just going to click through to this real quick. Um, wow, and it came out back long... then. What's that? It came out in 2010. I thought it was like a newer interview since they got bought by no, Sega. No, no, no. It's an, it's an interview from March. So I won't read the whole thing, but I thought this was interesting. So they like immediately say to him, A document leaked from Sega containing criticism that Alpha Protocol felt like it didn't have enough RPG elements. Does the team have any plans for tweaking the RPG elements between now and spring? Or do you find the concern inaccurate? And he said, It should be noted that the document being referred to contained criticisms on a demo that was quite old at the time, and that was some time ago we refined our systems in the RPG feel a lot over the spring and summer of 2009. So when it came out, both the Sega production group and Obsidian didn't feel 
the criticisms remain valid. Um, they also talk about comparisons to Mass Effect. Mm-hmm. Uh, they asked, um, what do you think that makes Alpha Protocol stand out from the Mass Effect series? And Chris said, Alpha Protocol and Mass, Equ- Mass Effect are quite different, but for many reasons, I think comparisons are probably unavoidable. Both are RPGs, both have cinematic dialogue systems, and in both, you tend to use guns. I suspect the cinematic dialogue is the real culprit in drawing comparisons because when you see a screenshot, they look very similar. Oh, yeah. Um, And then at the end, they said, do you see Alpha Protocol as a standalone title or series? If there are future sequels, would the player carry over their character and stats or would be a fresh start? Do you have plans for DLC? And he said, the world we've developed is much larger than what the player will experience in the game itself, and it opens itself up to a lot of possibilities with factions, world events, and even the future of Michael Thornton and the organization. The direction the series takes will be determined by its publisher, Sega. Um, Obsidian has expressed interest in a sequel and DLC and has submitted ideas for proposals of both. I'd love to see those proposals. Um, At this time, the most important thing is that Alpha Protocol launches well and is well-received by fans. And so keep in mind, this is March 8th, 2010. That'll become important when we get to the end of the show here. Um, But before that, uh, we do have this cool developer diary video. There's actually a series of like five or six of these. I just want you to play like the first minute or so of the first one just to get an idea of what the team looked like, what Sega was doing to promote it. Okay, I'm playing it. Uh, Diary 1, that's it. Yeah. It's like the lowest quality upload, too. It's like 144p. Yeah, and Sega Europe only uploaded one, but other channels have like five or six. It's like VHS quality. VCD. Whoa, this guy's in an alley? (laughs) Yeah, this is uh, 144p. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, it's blurry. (laughs) And this guy's like in a dark alley, it's scaring me. This is oddly edited. Interesting. I would have expected you to say traitor unless you have insider knowledge. And weapon shipments are being sent out this possible American agency The lock picking so gen- like every game does that now. Yeah. We actually allow you to choose your motivation and what you want to do for the game. Uh, it can be anything from simple uh, revenge to uh, you're extremely patriotic and want to carry on your duty and your mission no matter what. I did the patriotic it's guy. Because that's what you are. You're yeah, a patriot. You're yeah. a cowboy who just wants to ride the wave and see where it goes. Any motivation a player wants to undertake to their character, they can. 
<laughs> so I mean that just goes to show how much Sega has put into the promotion of the game to give them like well edited I mean you were making fun of it but like they put some production into that oh, they like yeah. built a little set brought the guys in for a day had them give quotes and they made a, a series of videos so I mean that's that's kind of impressive you know what would have been bigger like instead of shooting that $500,000 scene just hire Matt Damon to do the mocap for the thing and, and you know what I mean like an actor like an actual <laughs> actor would probably would have made like the promotional run of it a big deal back then because how many RPGs yeah. had an actual actual dude you know what I mean like a, a, an A-list celebrity I think you're right. Yeah, I think it probably would have been a good choice. Um, yeah, but if you guys ever, like, you want to hit up YouTube, there are, I believe, five of these. Sega Europe did upload... No, there's seven. Wow, there's a lot of them. But they're kind of hard to find. I don't know if they're, like, hidden or they're just not on their playlists. But, yeah, the, the video quality is, like, all over the place. Uh, the second one, 720p, and then the seventh one, one of them's on, like, a PlayStation site... And, yeah, so, just, I guess it's just the sign of, like, 2010's YouTube, where they were just, like, just upload the video, and they're like, eh, whatever, it's it's 144p. Um, the, the game released, it had GameStop and Best Buy exclusive DLC packs. Don't get too excited, though. They were not, like, new story stuff. It was just uh, weapon packs, so there was the exclusive assault pack and the stealth weapons pack, respectively, I remember at the time Sega would put the little... They still put them in, but like the little slips of paper. Um, I've myself picked up like used games and I'll find the slip and get really excited. And then the code's like used or expired. I think I have some Yakuza codes. Um, yeah, that's what my sucks copy about here, that. though. Like they give you these... Like, you know what I also hate? When you buy a Nintendo, when you buy a Nintendo game, right? And then they're like, yeah. and they have those, I don't know if you, you ever redeem them, but if you buy a cartridge, you could uh, go onto your game and then get gold points that give you a percentage off on the sh- in the eShop. Well, if, uh-huh. if you don't buy the game the first three months it comes out, then the code is, I mean, you can redeem it, it's worthless. So it's like, mm-hmm. you could be buying uh, Odyssey right now and it's like, oh, you know, sorry, it redeemed three years ago, but you paid 60 bucks anyway because that's what we were charging you. I it's got like, that. I saw that's that. Lame. That's such nonsense. Um, I actually have my yeah. receipt here for Alpha Protocol. It's from 2013. It was um, $4.99 pre-owned at GameStop. So you had to break the so, biggie bang for that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was an expensive buy. I think uh, this and Samba de Amigo Wii are like $5. Uh, uh, Cheap games to pick <laughs> GameStop up. games. Yeah, if you have like um, 10 bucks, you can get Alpha Protocol and Samba de Amigo on Wii. You can. I mean, those are the best games ever. Uh, so what are your thoughts about all those development stories we talked about? And from hearing all that, would you call this a mess or would you call it kind of your typical development process and we're just hearing the ups and downs? I think Obsidian, if you look at their history of their games, they always rush games. Like um, the Knights of the Old Republic 2, uh, the la- there's no ending to the game actually. If you actually look at the history of it, they never got to finish the ending of the game. LucasArts told them to release the game. And I'm wondering, is it the publisher's fault at this point when they like 
had five years to create this game, and like you said, two years they didn't even have a leader in the project. And then right, and then it's like I always feel like these are the studios that are like are like very creative at writing, but when it comes to the development process, they like move, they move like molasses. You know, they're making these games that are like so many ideas probably that they change. I'm assuming Alpha Protocol in the beginning was totally different than what we got in the end. Like you said, they changed the the writers right. and everything. I would love to right. see a documentary on this development process and like. Their, their pitch DLC that never got released, their uh, ideas that never came to be, characters that were scrapped. Uh, what would it look like to be a female in this game and what what their idea was for the story if you became a female? Was it totally different? That, that's kind of the interesting bits about all this. Like the stuff that Sega put together, it was just like, this guy's a spy and, and he's like James Bourne. And it's like, that's cool, but they're not telling you about the hardships of what they did, you know? I don't know. What's your opinion on that? No, yeah. I mean, I, I think a lot of games have their ups and downs. I don't think this is, like, the worst development ever. But it definitely shows that Obsidian, I think, was, like, they were doing well to the point where they could be do cushy development jobs like this. Like, oh, yeah. Take, take a couple of years to really just not do much. Um, I would imagine other studios are, like, kind of under the gun we got to get this out we got to get moving they maybe there is this process where it's kind of a little nebulous but not for two years yeah you know maybe for a couple months um but i mean this is our 86th episode so we've we've covered tons of games where they just get it done we have an idea get it done get it out there you know um but you see this too with movies like you'll hear of movies that have been development for decades um, and then you'll hear of movies that like were thought up and spit out within a year because contractually they have to get it out there. Otherwise they like lose a license or something. So it, you know, it, it, different industries, they all kind of deal with these things. Um, but I'd agree with you. I'd love to see like an article or like, uh, a documentary or something that just really goes into, the history of this, and the reason I say that is that a lot of these people, I think all of them are still alive. This isn't like an old game. It's 10 years old. Yeah. And I, I think we're far enough out now that they would be willing to talk about it without being afraid of, like, losing friends, you know? Like, I... I They're owned by Microsoft. I feel Microsoft. like they might be at the... Well, yeah, I mean, Microsoft is making... They're making documentaries now, so maybe they could make an Alpha Protocol documentary. Um... As far as the release, the game released to less than expected scores. The team had hoped for 80s, 80 out of 100, and they saw lower Metacritic scores of 60 to 70 out of 100, uh, depending on the platform. Um, Yeah, I mean, this was an era where Metacritic, and it still is, but at this time, I remember it was like super, super important. I remember there was stories about Sega, like, canceling pub like they wouldn't publish games anymore if they had a lower metacritic score which i thought was such nonsense you remember that yeah that i do news story and they and they kind of and it's like they kind of did stop though because like they've kind of won the metacritic's best score publisher for the last like what three years or whatever like they're rate, yeah. rated the highest so i guess it is true and it did work out for them but it, at the same right, time right i mean i i think s- 
Sega in general have just been releasing better quality games, yeah. but I just think it's kind of nonsense to be like, oh, we are actively not going to sell the games that get anything below 80. And it's like, well, but there, like, there's games and movies that I absolutely love, and I look and they're getting critical scores of like 60. And I'm like, so you're telling me because the general consensus was not 80% loved it, it's not good enough for me? Like, do you understand that Metacritic is not like, <laughs> you know, it doesn't speak for everyone. Um, and case in point, I think this game, they probably would have delisted it and they kind of did. I mean, we'll get to that, but um, we can discuss other reviews, but let's discuss your, our own oh, Segabits no. review. So oh, no. when this came out, you gave it a C. Yeah. Uh, do you stand by that score, sir? Maybe like a C plus, B minus. Maybe I was a little more like, like back then I really, really hated Western RPGs. I, I didn't hate them, but like I was way more critical about them because you're like, yeah. oh, I like this style RPG. So maybe I was a little more critical on it. The game did have issues, like I told you before, and it was really janky. So I think that's where my C came up. But I still stand by the fact that it did a lot of cool stuff. I don't know if you you didn't post it here in the notes, but there was an actual Sega Saturn in the game, in one of your uh, yes, in in your one of your hideouts or what do they call it villas or whatever they if you go to the TV and you look under there's a Sega Saturn. I kind of wish they did more of that, but besides that, I mean mm-hmm. I'm, that's my Sega fanboy coming out. I thought it was it was yeah, just yeah. a middle of the road game. That's what kind of like what I thought back then. But go on for you, go on. You know, you mentioned that as your positive. I was going to say your positives mentioned the classic Sega uh, startup for the game oh. and a Sega Saturn. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I think they could have gone a little further, put some Sega fan service in it, make it feel more like a Sega game, because it is, to my knowledge, a Sega-owned IP because they back the development of it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's kind of like Bayonetta in that sense. Um, but, yeah, your review's really funny because... It just shows how far, I guess, your writing has come. Oh, because yeah. You're, yeah. It says, review, Alpha Protocol. Like, there's nothing, like, no platform, no snappy stuff. Opening sentences, Alpha Protocol promises to be an espionage RPG and deliver a spy adventure like no other. Does it deliver? And then it's like, click to read more. It's like... Uh, you could have made that a paragraph, maybe, but okay. Uh, I, uh, hey, <laughs> hey, I'm sorry that I, I'm I'm directly to the point. I'm sorry that I'm an alpha Chad that just gets hey, this directly is 11 to years it. ago. Don't okay. I'm I'm just giving you shit. Eleven years um, ago, George was cooler than this than 2021 George. So yeah, right, right. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I. I I, I totally see where you're coming from. I would have been down on it, too. I think I reviewed some Marvel games, and I was probably meaner than I should have been just because I'm like, why are they making these? I don't like these games. I think also um, it's like they, when they do some stuff so right that sometimes the outer package is not as good, it kind of really makes you disappointed even more. It's like, oh, you got a cool yeah. concept. How do you guys not do the the little things around it, especially when it was five years of development? Come on, guys. But, yeah. Well, knowing that now, yeah, you're like, man, they could have done a lot better. Oh, yeah. Um, In the UK, when the game released, it was the 13th best-selling game of its week. And a month later, the game had sold 700,000 copies in the U.S. and Europe, uh, which led to lower-than-expected financial results for Sega. They expected more. Um, And so remember that interview I read where it was from uh, May, Mm -hmm. and the game was coming out 
what, like a month or two later? Yeah. So in July, July 2010, and this game, remember, this game came out uh, in June. So this is one month later. Sega was giving interviews, and this is what they said. So here's the, I'll just read the article here. After a mixed critical reception, there won't be a sequel to Obsidian's Alpha Protocol, publisher Sega says, adding that the game sales did not meet expectations. Let's speak very commercially. This game hasn't sold what we've expected. Therefore, we won't be doing a sequel, Sega President Mike Hayes told website C&VG of the game, which received some positive commentary on its concept, but little on its execution, garnering altogether Metacritic scores of 63, 65, and 73 for its Xbox, PlayStation, and PC versions. Oh, Metacritic, Metacritic. Um, Alpha Protocol, billed as an espionage RPG, was long anticipated... Uh, yada yada. Uh, despite the disappointing performance, Sega's Hayes praised the idea behind the game and suggested Obsidian was also tackling an especially difficult genre. The concept was brilliant, though. You know, the whole thing with Metacritic, where you have to be in the high 70s to mid 80s minimum to have any success, well, with RPG, you have to be in the late 80s. Simply good isn't good enough. That upper echelon, Hayes suggested. And it'd be too pricey to try again. Again, the amount you need to invest to get there is so large because RPGs are naturally big projects, he said. We decided we won't do a sequel. So I don't mean to give Mike Hayes any shit here, but maybe don't do interviews a month after release telling people you're not making a sequel, you didn't like the game, it's not good. It didn't get an 80, a high 80. Instead, it got a mid-70. That's terrible. This thing is still on store shelves. It's still making you money, Mike. Mike Why are you shitting on the product? Mike, what what Metacritic score did those uh, multi-million million selling uh, Sonic the Hedgehogs get? Probably not not high 60s. I mean, some of those games got 40s, and they were like selling like hotcakes anyway. I, I just... I The thing is... I remember, Mike... I don't remember Mike Hayes all that much when we would do news, but I remember every time he did, he would like shit. I mean, he's spitting. He would like spit truth, but it's like, dude, this is your company. You're not a journalist. It's your job. Why are you shitting on the product? And don't you think that he was he? I was gonna say, don't you think he's using Metacritic as kind of like a let's blame Metacritic? Everyone did everything correctly at Sega, but Metacritic says this number, and it's like. Well, if you thought the game was not going to be an 80, like, they had to know that they had issues, right? Some of these, like, why don't you bring in reviewers to play the game before and be like, what would you give it? Uh, we'd give it a 60. All right, we de- we're going to delay the game a bit more. You know what I mean? To make it right. And the thing, too, is, like, some right, of these right, games, right. once you make the foundation, they're cheaper. It's like Yakuza games. The big cost is making the foundation around it or the Sonic Boost gameplay. The, you know, once you get that all done... Every game should be cheaper, right? Right. I mean, I just... I'm I'm kind of surprised that Mike Hayes would be doing an interview a, a month after release. And instead of, like, either defending the product that your people your people in this company worked on, or, or just talking about the positives, being like, you know what, the game didn't get this, but we really want people to go out there, check it out. It's a fun game. We believe in it. And instead, he's just like... I have to wonder if, like, working for him, it was all Metacritic. He was Mr. Metacritic. And he's like, oh, no, we're going to stop selling games if they get below 80. you got to get 80. This is it's how, just like... 
this is how I would handle it as a CEO. I'd be like, you hear Metacritic slandering this game? This is one of the best games to come out this whole year. And these idiots don't want you to play it by giving it a low score. How about you tell them to go shove it up their ass, these uh, elites in the media telling you what to do? Go buy Alpha Protocol. Get these. Ba- just, we're going to make 15 games just to spite these bastards. That's what I would tell people. That way they go out and right. buy it. Why are you going to tell them there's no more other games? I'd be like... We're making a movie, uh, you know. We're gonna do everything, but no. Instead, he told them like, "Don't buy the game; it's already over. Go home. Buy buy Mass Effect Two. But yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's it's interesting because you know I did a little Mike Hayes search Uh-oh. here. So Mike Hayes. Well, I'm gonna show um, his pictures so he, people can know what's up. Well, he departed Sega in 2012. Um, and yeah, so we only covered him for a couple years, but he was—he seemed like a very analytics guy. Um, obviously, with the Metacritic scores, he said here about reinventing popular IPs in 2011. He said we carefully look at each IP, and every month we review the locker of IP and think, how could we release those? And if so, what are we going to do? Will it be a big game, digital, free to play? We constantly look at it. What I can say is that we, you will continue to see the reinvention of classic IP. Um, he also said that Sonic 4 Episode 2 did well and continues to do well. well we never so got a third one. That. Yeah, right? How's that going, Mike? Um, it says... Let's see. Uh, Mike Hayes, Aliens Colonial Marines to be top quality product. Oh my god, Oof. fire this he man. He says... At, as a general point, when you have a great license, the amount you need to spend on marketing is significantly less. See, so the two balance each other out. But that's dependent on how much money you invest in the game because we know how well tie-in licensed games have done recently. We have to create a game that stands on its own two feet. This is a quality first approach. Oh, my God. So This guy's... Dumb. Oh, Mike Horse. Mike Hayes, Sonic 4 Episode 2 will be excellent. Um, Mike Hayes, we're not tone deaf to Shenmue demands, even though you didn't make release it? them at all. Or, yeah, uh, but we heard them. Yeah, on live. Um, wow, it's just interesting to look back here. I never really had opinions on Mike Hayes, but he it just kind used of more money on marketing Yakuza games. Maybe that's what he should have done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I don't want to turn this into the Mike Hayes podcast, Sorry. but I just thought that was very interesting. So do you have any final thoughts on AP? Alpha Protocol is a Western RPG that you guys should try. It's a unique flavor. I don't think there's any game quite like it. The Fallout, is, you know, Fallout is its own thing, you know, like uh, it's not a spa- it's not a sci-fi. It's during our time. It's like a, what modern espionage RPG, which gives it a unique flavor. Uh, I would probably try it on PC because, uh, you know, who wants to pull out their Xbox 360s? I guess Xbox One, you can also play it on, uh, upscaled. And, uh, yeah, try it out. It's a little janky, but if you could get past that, I think you guys would enjoy it. You? Absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I have to echo those comments. It's, I mean, we've, we've said before, it's a 7 out of 10 game, but sometimes 7 out of 10 games are the best games. I mean, we love that Viking game. Yeah, um, for sure. So, you know, I mean, check it out. It's not that expensive now. You can get it for uh, 
free. Xbox 360 or PS3. Um, so for sure, check it out. And of course, if you are a Patreon supporter at any tier, you can share your thoughts. Uh, unfortunately, we didn't get any thoughts on this episode. I think because we're recording this a week after the last one and people were just caught unawares. Um, I gave them a few days, though. But the good thing is is that Joaquin shared his spicy thoughts at the beginning of the show. And I look forward to the next episode in the new year. Of course. I already God, I uh, have the notes done. I already know what it really? is. Um, it's uh, no, I don't. I was just lying to you. I, I was. Um, what, do I, what am I covering? All right. So here, drum roll, please, as I open the Google Doc and tell George exactly what he's covering. So, in 2022, you can expect us to return with Gun Valkyrie on January 3rd, 2022. That's when we record. So that's going to be fun. And then following that up, I'm going to be talking about Ill Bleed. So we are definitely going to be talking about some spooky stuff. And then, end of January into February, we are doing a one-two punch of Shenmue 2 and Shenmue 3. Oof. Uh, followed by an episode of The Conduit. And then Sonic Boom, Rise of Lyric. And oh uh, after that, we're going we're gonna to give George the ability to pick whatever he wants for his episode. And then it's going to be me talking about Archie, Sonic, Ken Penders comics. Uh, And then George is going to follow up that with (laughs) Sonic 3 and Knuckles, which I I think we can work on the notes for that one. That's a big one. Yeah. Um, And from there, yeah, we have nothing planned in uh, May, so it's going to be really on our Patreon pickers and ourselves. So, yeah, what are you looking forward to on that list? I'm looking forward to Sonic Boom. Uh, Sonic Boom, Rice and Lyric, because I, I did, you know, some promo stuff for that, and I did the review for it. Um, I have a lot of thoughts on that game. Also, Sonic uh, Sonic and Knuckles is a great game. Sonic 3 and Knuckles, so that's a, a definitely one I'm looking forward to. It's probably one of my favorite games. I still think the Genesis games are absolutely beautiful art styles, so I love talking about them. Um, definitely those two. Sonic, both, and I'm not even that big of a Sonic fan. That's crazy. <laughs> All right, guys. So have a Merry Christmas. Have a Happy New Year. We will see you in 2022. Bye.